Welcome to the Kinetic Seas Business AI Podcast. This is the podcast about bringing artificial intelligence into your business. My name is Ed Honor and I am your host. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the Chat GPT API and APIs in general. So most people use ChatGPT by going to the OpenAI website, logging in, and using their browser. And if ChatGPT had come out 40 years ago, the only ways you would be able to use it would be the ways that OpenAI gives you. And if it was successful, IBM or another big company would just create their own GPT. And the only way you'd be able to use that GPT would be the different ways they gave you. And they would compete on who gave you the best features and us mere mortals couldn't use it in our programs or make it any better. They would lock you into buying everything from them because nothing else would work with their hardware. Now in modern times, that problem is solved by APIs or application programming interfaces. An API allows you to bypass the browser and get data directly from the sources without knowing anything about the technology that hosts it. Think of an API like a web address that you don't access with your browser. Your program talks to this address like it's a web page with a URL, but then the data comes back in a format that the program knows how to use. With ChatGPT API, programmers can access the power of ChatGPT without ever having to go to their website. Now this has huge benefits, especially for OpenAI. It lets anyone make ChatGPT better, and companies that normally wouldn't use ChatGPT if it were only a website can now adopt large language models in their business. But just like anything with computers, APIs did not become successful because some committee agreed that everyone is gonna use this one standard. Although there are standards committees who are gonna take credit for it. APIs became successful through evolution. Eventually, everyone started doing things a certain way because everyone else was. And then some standards committee created a document to make it official. But before I go into the features of ChatGPT API, let's see how we got here. So back in the 1970s, the mainframe computer determined everything that you bought to go along with it. If you bought an IBM computer, you could only use IBM printers. If you bought a DEC computer, you could only use DEC printers. Even if I already owned some IBM printers, if I went out and I bought a DEC, I was gonna have to replace all the printers. This basically iced small companies out of the market. But then in the early 1970s, there were these three guys at IBM, Dr. Charles Goldfarb, Ed Mosher, and Ray Laurie, who saw this problem and created a way to mark up documents using tags. Now, the first thing they did was named it after their initials, Goldfarb, Mosher, and Lori became GML. But they knew the fastest way to kill something is to name it after yourselves. So they called it generalized markup language. And then they added standardized to the beginning and called it SGML. Now, this wasn't a big deal until the internet arrived. But then browsers like Netscape needed a way to present documents and HTML became the first markup language that was based on SGML. And it was the first markup language really to make it into the wild. Up until then, things that were based on standardized generalized markup language, you know, IBM, DEC, they all used it, but you know, printer manufacturers would use it. But for the most part, it didn't take, it didn't become a popular thing until HTML. Uh, came out. 
But as normal with competition, the competition between Netscape and Microsoft got really ugly in the 1990s. And they each started adding a ton of things that computers don't necessarily need to, com to communicate with each other. So HTML sort of became, uh, it became messy. It became something that you could use in your browser along with JavaScript and style sheets and all of that stuff. But it wasn't something you would use to let computers transfer data between each other. So in 1996, they came up with XML, which stands for Extensible Markup Language. And this lets computers talk to each other without the messiness of HTML. And it's also based on SGML. So of course, Microsoft jumped in with both feet, which pretty much means other companies didn't. And to this day, you can still create Word and Excel documents completely using XML. And so if you were around in computers in the 1990s, they were definitely the dark ages of computing. Every time you turned around, there was something new and revolutionary. And as soon as you learned it, it just happened to disappear. And that's really because we were in that point where we were migrating from proprietary technologies to these open source technologies. And the biggest problem that XML had was that the the tags defining the data were actually bigger than the data. So if you want to see that in action, go to any Excel file and save it as XML and then open it in a text editor. And you'll see that it is absolutely enormous. And it's mostly XML markup tags with a few pieces of data uh, intertwined inside it. So by the early 2000s, JavaScript appeared and XML was just way too big for browsers to get data. So there was a guy named Douglas Croft Crockford, and he invented JSON, which stands for JavaScript Object Nota Notation, which is a small, lightweight, and it's pretty much perfect. So by 2017, the only thing the standards committees had to argue about was how to pronounce it. Some call it JSON, others call it JSON. I call it JSON. Um, I pronounce the, the O heavily. Now, the easiest way to describe how JSON and APIs work is to look at your browser. If you put the address of an API into a URL, what comes back will be JSON. Now, it won't really make any sense to you, but pretty much any modern programming language can take it and immediately convert it to a format that it likes. So APIs are basically the web without the browser. And since open source has turned programming into crowd development, APIs are critical. And the ChatGPT API is really more important than the website. Yeah, and sure, the website's useful and it introduces you to ChatGPT. And most of the masses use ChatGPT um, on the website, but its use is limited. And if you want to integrate ChatGPT into your business, it's going to be done through the API, either by you buying programs that are front ends to ChatGPT that are specifically developed using the API or you're gonna to learn to develop APIs yourself and you're gonna have the power of creating your own prompts, um, uh, using your own company data in the prompts and then saving the prompts and then really integrating the API into your own applications and making it something really powerful. But if you've never lived through the dark ages of the 1990s, like most of the developers of ChatGPT didn't, they knew that building an API means that they didn't know, they didn't have to know everything about how ChatGPT was going to be used. They just knew they had something really cool, 
they could create an API to it. They could charge for API access, assist developers in creating awesome apps, and they don't necessarily need to know how ChatGPT fits into every industry. Let's just let the public do that. The public's gonna start developing things using ChatGPT API, and OpenAI and Microsoft and ChatGPT, they're all just gonna be surprised by all the really cool things that get developed. And this is how computers are progressing on the software side so much quicker now. It's that ability for you to see something have an API on how to use it, and then be able to put your own algorithms and your own um, knowledge of your business and your business applications around it. So the ChatGPT API is extremely easy to use. And if you are a Python programmer, it's actually so easy, I was able to cover it in three short videos on YouTube. So if you go to our YouTube channel at Kinetic Seas, uh, there is a uh, three short video course on creating a front end using Python, and you're basically building your own API that talks to the ChatGPT API. Then there's another course on how to build an Angular front end that talks to the API. So to use the ChatGPT API in Python, all you do is you install the OpenAI library, you get an API key so they know how to charge you, and then you start coding. And at this point, it's all about being creative. It's like figuring out how you're gonna improve the prompts to be more efficient and keep it from hallucinating, breaking up tasks into multiple prompts so that it builds upon itself, I'm storing things in the database so you can see the other answers to similar questions that ChatGPT has already given you, I'm breaking up the, uh, you know, creating the content, the context for ChatGPT by using your own company data. These are all things that you can do with the ChatGPT API. Now, APIs are not a new thing. Um, most mapping things that you see out in the wild were built with the Google Maps API. That's the other, I mean, I think that's probably the most popular API that I've worked with. But pretty much every software developer who creates a platform now creates an API that allows people out you know, in the universe to start creating applications that are powerful, that are easy to use, and that sometimes extend the original application far beyond what the original application developers realized it could be used for. And that's the really beautiful thing about ChatGPT API is it lets you extend ChatGPT and lets you use ChatGPT in ways that the ChatGPT developers never even considered when they created the product. So the, the other beautiful thing about creating your own APIs on top of ChatGPT is as things change, you know, we're now on uh, ChatGPT4. Um, I program my APIs currently using ChatGPT 3.5 Turbo, but at any point I can turn off 3.5 and turn on 4. There's gonna be a ChatGPT 5 at some point. There are other large language models like Llama 2 that you can use and you can fine tune to create your own um, large language model. But in the end, it's this API, it's creating the application programming interface that really takes away one of the most difficult parts of software development, which is gathering the requirements. Back in the day when you were gonna develop a software package, you got everybody in a room together because you needed to know everything that that software was gonna do before you even started coding. 
But now with an API, you can build a few functions, you, you build the basic infrastructure and the structure of the data, and then you can continue to extend the application going on into the future without your front end developers knowing too much about how everything works on the background. So it gives you the opportunity to segregate your developers. You have your back end developers who are building these APIs and database applications. You have your front end app developers who are using programming languages like Angular, React, and Vue, and they're creating these really cool multimedia interfaces. And the two teams converse a little bit, but it's the API that makes it possible for uh, everything to work out and uh, software to get so much more advanced so quickly. So let's talk about the overall process about how you go about using the ChatGPT API. Now you can call an API pretty much with any programming language. For years I used PHP and something built into PHP called curl to call these APIs. And what they're basically doing when you call curl is it is simulating what happens from your browser. Now in your browser, the two main functions that you have are get and post. Now there's two other ones. There's one called put and delete, but I'm not even going to talk about that because I don't even know anybody who actually uses them. Um, but get and post, a get is like you're typing something in at the command line where all the parameters that you're passing into the page are on the command line. So you would say something.com forward slash and then the name of the page and then you would have you know question mark and then a list of variables that are separated by ampersands that's called a get so that is everything is kind of clear text it's on the it's the url that is called that you're calling has the parameters on it and so that's called a get now a post is what gets executed when you do things like have a form on it on a web page, so if you're filling out a form, the, that's transmitted to the server using what's called a post request. And the post request has a lot of benefits over the get. Uh, the post allows you to, to put a lot more data into a post than you can put into a get. You can also post uh, multi-content uh, data, so you can do things like upload files, you can, uh, Uploading is the main thing, but you could actually have very large amounts of data that you that you send in a post. Where a get is very limited in what you do, a post is very wide. You can do a lot of things with a post. So anytime I'm developing software and I'm developing APIs, I rely almost exclusively on the post. I haven't seen any reason why you would actually need to use a get over a post, except for the fact that usually a get is easier to code. But uh, once you know how to code a post, you don't need to worry about it being easier to do a get anymore. So the first thing you do is with the ChatGPT API is you have to be signed up for a ChatGPT account. That's simple enough. Um, now I have a paid version. If you're going to use the API, you also need to have a paid version. Now once you have the paid version, you can just log into the ChatGPT website, go up to the upper right hand corner where your user account is, and then you, there's a section called the API keys. And when you go to API keys, what you're doing is you're generating the method that the API uses to authenticate you. That's how it knows that you're the one calling the API and that you're allowed to call the API. It also knows, that's also how it knows how to charge you for calling the API. But the um, API key is really the first thing that you need. Now, if you're using Python, <coughs> you would just create your Python project 
and you do a pip install of the OpenAI library. So it's just very simple. It's pips space install space OpenAI. And that is going to that is going to install the ChatGPT Open AP or OpenAI API into your Python project. And all you have to do from this point on is declare a variable of the uh, class ChatGPT and then call if you're doing uh, prompting, you call the completions uh, endpoint. It is a simple line of code. And all you do is you send it, you put in it what you want to send to ChatGPT and it sends it to ChatGPT and then it sends it, then you receive a JSON array or a JSON object with the response. Now there is some limitations to the API that's, that really aren't limitations to the API. It's just that the website is doing things that you don't necessarily know about. One of the things that the website does that you don't know about is anytime you put in a prompt and you ask it for something, it is sending the entire conversation back to OpenAI or back to ChatGPT. So it knows the context of your application, uh, of your question. So if I ask the question, uh, what is the diameter of the moon? And then the next question I ask is, what is it made of? It knows that we're talking about the moon because it is in context of the, the prior question that we asked. So if you don't pass in the rest of the, the conversation that you've got going on, the context of the conversation, what you're going to get is you just send chat GPT, what is it made of? And it goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what it is. And it's going to give you some response like as a large language model i can't figure out what it is so you have so there's things that you're doing when you're using the api that the website does by default the one thing that we just talked about is that it's sending back all the context of the conversation the other thing is that there are some settings in the chat gpt website that allow you to provide context and those are called system prompts so you can put in your website, in your ChatGPT website, answer all questions at, from the perspective of a computer scientist or answer all the questions from the perspective of a chemical engineer. Oh, and you can also give it information about who you are, what your business is. You, you can put all of that inside of the website, ChatGPT, and that gets passed to a the ChatGPT API every time you use the website. So when you're using the ChatGPT API to build your own applications, there's a thing called a role. And what you do is you pass in an array, which is a list. You pass in a, a list of prompts and responses that, that are the history. So if you pass something in with the system role, so everything that you, every message that you pass into the ChatGPT API has two parts to it. The first is the role as to who said it or who did it. And then the second thing is the content, like what they said or, uh, you know, what um, was, what the response was. So you would pass in, if you want to pass in a system role, that's a role that's not part of the conversation, but you might pass in the first part of every call I make to the OpenAI library might be a system call that says, answer this from the perspective of a chemical engineer, if that's what my app does. Then you have the other two roles are user and assistant. 
So you're the user, everything you type in, you send with the role of user, and everything that ChatGPT sends back to you comes back with the role of the assistant. Now, one of the things you can do in ChatGPT4 that I think is like really cool is you can ask ChatGPT if it did a good job on his last assignment. So, but in order to do that, you need to send the last assignment in. So let's say you had a question, um, describe the surface of the moon um, from the perspective of a chemical engineer. And it sends you back a response. So now you have your assistant said, uh, send me back a description of the, uh, uh, the surface of the moon. It gave you a response. Now you're gonna pass both of those things in to the API with a message that says, did you do a good job on your last assignment? And then what it'll do is it'll read its last assignment, compare it with the model and go, yeah, I did a really good job or nope, I blew it, let me fix it. And in ChatGPT4, that is really powerful because with all uh, GPTs, with all large language models, they have a tendency to uh, hallucinate. If you ask a large language model the same question 10 times, you're gonna get 10 different answers. And there's a really good chance that one of those 10 is just gonna be wildly wrong because there's a little bit of randomness that goes in the way ChatGPT works and it doesn't ever reverse gear, so it can't back up. So if it makes a wrong, if it goes down a wrong train of thought, it's just gonna keep running with it. It doesn't know that it went down a wrong train of thought, but even if it did know, it can't back it up and fix it. So you get these, sometimes you get these really weird outputs. So the ability in the API to just immediately send back the response with, hey, did you do a good job in your last output, uh, will, at least it will start begin to fact check the things that you've done. Now, when you're using this API, we've up until now, we've talked about sending in a system message, with, which is you know something hard-coded about who you are or what you know or your company. But you can very easily send data in as part of the prompts using your own company database. So you could query, a, let's say you query your Oracle database, you get a prompt out of the database, you send it. When the response comes back, then you can store that response. And so you can restore all of the responses that you received for a certain type of prompt. So if I, if I ran this prompt and I got 10 different responses, I could save those 10 different responses in my database. And then there's a thing you can do called vector embedding, which is basically creating a signature that, that tells, basically it tells anybody who knows how this vector works, what, what is the sentiment and the content of the paragraph that you encoded. So you can do a thing called a vector search, which uses a function called cosine similarity, where it'll go out and you'll say, all right, uh, I just got this prompt from you. I just got this prompt from, or this response from ChatGPT. I'm gonna turn it into a vector, and then I'm gonna query my database to find out all the other responses that you gave me that were similar to the response that you just gave me. And that would actually, that's a way for your users to be able to choose a kind of a best of ChatGPT. You send it the, you send it a prompt, it sends you a result, you vectorize, you vector embed the response that it got. You then go to your database and go, okay, these are all the other responses that are similar to the response I just got. Let me choose the best one that I wanna use. Or you could say, 
it could return a result and then you could say, and here's some examples of the, the way you answered this in the past. And you can send those in as either system messages or response messages. So the ChatGPT API is actually way more powerful than just the ChatGPT website itself because it allows you to do things in a loop and it allows you to do things automatically. The ChatGPT itself is really a chatbot. It's an interaction between you and ChatGPT. But as soon as you implement the ChatGPT API, it's a conversation between your computer and their computer. And you can program your computer to ask certain questions, ask things in a different way, handle certain responses a certain way, and really um, get it, get the responses that you want out of ChatGPT and make ChatGPT that much more powerful. Okay, so that's all I'm going to cover in this episode. And hopefully I gave you a pretty good background as to what an API is, what the ChatGPT API is, and why you should uh, consider using it. So I will see you in the next episode.